For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever že dal svého jediného syna, aby žádný, kdo v něho věří, ang pagsinta ng Diyos sa sanlibutan na ibinigay niya ang kanyang bugtong na anak. Diyo lo ko no, ento premyo Kaga ay na tanaditi yekumanda niyan. Seret vilagot, kung feladu sa edyetlan fiat. Okikiyan mo gidam Jehova ngon missing, utko ba tawiri ni nagiginagay si malus agatugul niyan. A tant aimé le monde qu'il a donné son fils unique afin que Awa ua alofa maile atua ile lalolangi ua auina maiaia ia para que todo el que cree en él no se pierda sino que tenga vida eterna That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life All of those people uh, are members of Desert Springs, except Billy, Graham, um, <laughs> and are all, to one degree or the other, immigrants. Today we're speaking about immigration, immigrants, foreigners, sojourners, and I will start by saying um, there is a prayer that I would like for you to consider praying. It's the prayer of the toes. Lord, if you need to, would you step on my toes? Maybe one thing we could all do is we just put our toes out. Say, Spirit of the living God, if you need to, would you step on my toes today? And the reason that prayer is important is because when it comes to this particular issue, we currently live in a moment in which there is uh, vitriol and harsh rhetoric and teams and divisions of people and anger and rage and categories. In fact, as we've been going through this series called Life, and by the way, if you uh, maybe missed our last couple weeks, uh, we've been talking about things like race and bigotry and, the, and God's wonderful design for the multifaceted nature of humanity. Last week we talked about uh, uh, adoption and abortion. Today about immigration next week, about sexual assault and abuse. If you've missed any of those, you can visit that website and catch up. There's also a ton of resources available to you. Some of the notes that we will uh, have today, I'll be posting up there this week. And so I'm gonna go through a bunch of scriptures uh, showcasing that. But out of all of the topics, this one in particular, this cultural moment that we live in is perhaps the most contentious. And so my hope today, my prayer today, is that I will only speak what the Lord speaks and be silent where the Lord is silent in his word and not give you my particular opinion on the matter. Uh, I am strongly opinionated. I am, uh, in general, 
Uh, when it comes to this issue, I am also opinionated like most other issues. And what I am really going to try to do today is get out of the way. And so here's where, uh, what I'm going to say is uh, there are some of us in the room who will be upset that I didn't say enough. There are some of us in the room who are going to be upset that I said too much. There are some of us in the room who perhaps are going to say, I knew it, he is, insert political party there. Uh, there are some of us who are going to be upset perhaps misunderstanding what I'm trying to say. And so we, boy, oh boy, do we need the grace of God. One of the accusations that may uh, stem up in our hearts as we approach this issue is, well, you know, I just want to hear about the gospel. Preachers should just preach about the gospel. I don't, we don't want to get political. And in the negative sense of the word, I don't want to get political either. I'm not trying to tell you how to vote or which parties you should support. But here's the deal. Simply because a politician or a group of politicians are talking about an issue does not mean that we have to be silent on it, especially when the scripture speaks directly to it. To put it another way, the gospel, the word of God is true forever and ever regardless of what's popular for us to debate and talk about in any given society. That makes sense? So what is currently political, that will come and go with the winds of change, but what remains sure is the word of God. And so if the word of God brings something up, if the scriptures proclaim something and it applies to real life, which it always does, boy, oh boy, for those of us that are Christians, do we need to listen. And so we will look today at the Christian's ethic, the Christian's story, and the Christian's role best as I understand it as your pastor. Frequently throughout the scriptures are calls to love and care for orphans, widows, sojourners, and neighbors. In fact, the Christian ethic could be summed up in Mark chapter 12, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? And he says, love God and love neighbor. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus gets cornered. He gets tested by one of the leaders of the day. And the leader is asking him this question. Jesus, I understand I'm supposed to love God and love my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Jesus then gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. The big answer is to the question, the big answer of who is my neighbor? The answer is yes. Who is my neighbor? Yes, Jesus says. Which means the most vile person that you could think of. Yes, love your neighbor as yourself. Should I love my actual neighbor? Yes. Even though they haven't repainted their house in 20 years? Yes. Should I love my, the, the, is the Muslim my neighbor? Yes. Is the Kansas City Chiefs fans my neighbor? Yes. The gospel applies to all aspects of life, friends. <laughs> Who is my neighbor? Yes, that's the Christian ethic. And what's the motivation? Here's what's fascinating. Throughout the scriptures, you see these calls to love neighbor as self, to love the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, the alien, the foreigner, the immigrant, to love because that, apart from Christ, is our identity. Okay, in Exodus 22, verses 21 through 24, we'll put it up on the screen. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to get there. Exodus 22, 21 through 24. Watch what God does. This is God speaking. You shall not wrong 
a sojourner or oppress him. So sojourner, alien, foreigner, immigrant, very similar. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. Why? Here's the answer. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, they will cry out to me, and I will surely hear their cry. And my, check this, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your, fa- and your children fatherless. Now, let me ask you a question. Does he sound serious? Does this sound serious to you? Number one, how many of you have this text on your coffee mug in your little prayer journal at home? <laughs> right? Little precious moments figures with like a sword coming down. Okay? God takes the care of the widow and the orphan and the sojourner quite seriously. Would you agree? Yeah. Okay. Why does God call us to take care of the sojourner in this particular text for our particular point today because we, the story of the Christian, is the story of an immigrant. I'll prove it to you. You go into the book of Genesis. You see Abraham. God calls Abraham out from his home, and he says, Abraham, in Genesis 15, you go out from your land to another land that I will show you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. You, Abraham, you emigrate from your homeland and immigrate to a country that I'm gonna show you. It's the story of immigration. Isaac was called in Genesis 26, a sojourner in a strange land. Jacob, his son, when the famine struck, he immigrated with his family from this land that God called Abraham to, and he immigrated from, emigrated from there and immigrated to Egypt and lived as foreigners for peace and for security and so they could put food in their bellies. That was why they immigrated to Egypt. And hundreds of years later, we find in the book of Exodus, in the story of Moses, that those people were oppressed as sojourners and aliens. They began to be oppressed by the Pharaoh, who didn't remember Joseph, the scripture says. And so Moses leads the people. They emigrate out of Egypt and immigrate and wander as foreigners until they are brought into the land of promise. At the bringing into the land of promise, a series of judges begins to rule over. And during that time, Ruth, a Moabite, who was a foreigner to the people of God, a foreigner, an enemy, someone who is disgusting, a Moabite, she takes Naomi, her mother-in-law, and they immigrate from Moab back into the land of God where they could find life, security, food, and family. From Ruth's line, you have David, the greatest king, perhaps, in all of Israel. And at a worship service, David prays, God, who are we but aliens and foreigners before you? And after this kingdom rises and falls, God's people are exiled all over the world in the diaspora. And then many years later, under Roman occupation, in and around Jerusalem, this dude, this Messiah named Jesus shows up. Y'all heard of him? Here we go. Under Roman occupation, Jesus' parents flee a maniacal, murderous dictator named Herod. They flee to Egypt for safety and security. They emigrate from their hometown and immigrate to the land of Egypt until Herod is dead. They sought, oh, what's the word, refuge. Our savior was a refugee. And it was this Jesus who said in Matthew 25, I was a stranger 
and you welcomed me. I was a prisoner, and you visited me. It was this Jesus who calls us in Matthew 28 to go into all of the world, to all the nations of the earth, and spread the gospel, to leave the land of which we are from, and to go and make disciples. And to, as Hebrews 13 calls us to, show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so we may entertain angels unawares. It was this Jesus who made us, okay friends, it was this Jesus who makes us into a people. Ephesians 2, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Being in Christ, our citizenship changes. We recognize that we are citizens, as Luke 1 says, of a kingdom of which there is no end. And as we look towards our future, we recognize and know, just as Jesus proclaimed, that we will live eternally as members of this kingdom, a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multicultural kingdom of which there is no end. That is the Christian story. And it shapes, it ought to shape how we view this idea of immigrants and immigration. Recognizing that that is, in fact, our story, let me push into four things as it relates to the Christian's role in this current moment. Our ethic, given by Jesus, is to love our neighbor. Immigrant neighbor, non-immigrant neighbor, there's really no qualifiers to the love your neighbor command. And so refugees, asylum seekers, neighbors, immigrants, legal or not, what is our first priority? Hate? What do you guys think? Is, should we hate them? Okay. Um, ap- apathy. That's a nice one. I like apathy. It's comfortable. And should we be apathetic towards our neighbors? Yeah. Oh, you guys are going to have to do better than that. <laughs> uh, should we be apathetic towards our neighbors? Yeah. No? Okay. Um, Should we be uh, mildly caustic in our attitudes? No, no. Should we uh, look down our noses? Uh, Should we love our neighbors? The first order of business is love. One author puts it this way, and I'm going to paraphrase. Rather than seeing immigrants, legal or not, as a threat to my way of life, the Christian first should see an opportunity to either spread the gospel or engage in Christ-centered unity with a brother or sister. Far from recognizing the immigrant as a threat to my way of life, a Christian's first response is to view it as, number one, an opportunity to spread the gospel, or number two, to be in Christ-centered unity with a brother or sister. For those of us who are in Christ, there is more that binds us together than our earthbound citizenship. Number two, so number one, we're to love. First order of business. Number two, we're to obey the law. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh, right? Okay, so here we go. Uh, if you look at the role of the state in the scriptures, my best understanding is that the state exists as God's implemented godly designed tool to to the best of their ability to the best of its ability as a state create peace rule of law 
and justice for its citizens. Now, there's a lot more to say about it, but at least that. And therefore, as 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2 says, we are to pray for our leaders. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Uh, Real quick, when was the last time you gave thanks uh, for a leader in your government? Is it in contrast? I mean, is it in, is it, I mean, let's just, maybe you put all the critiques and all the eye rolling and all the frustration and all the nasty words at parties and all the harsh things you say at the dinner table. Does that outweigh the prayers of supplication and thanksgiving for that particular leader or leaders? See, the scripture here calls us to pray for, intercede on their behalf and to give thanksgiving for all who are in high positions in authority. And boy, oh boy, the more leaders that I know in our government, the more and more I'm just profoundly aware of how absolutely difficult it is. I met with uh, our representative who represents us in the, uh, in the House, uh, Schweikert, he in his office, and I want to be very clear, I would do that regardless of what political party that person has. They represent this district. Y'all with me on that? I need you to understand Pastor Caleb's not telling you who to vote for or how to vote. Pastor Caleb's simply saying there is a representative that represents this district that Desert Springs is in, and I went to go visit with them. Can we, are you guys with me on that one? Please tell me that you're not walking out of here saying, he told me to vote for this person, because I'm not. However, I've also written letters to our senators, to our sheriff, to other local officials, saying simply this, I know your job is hard. Leading in this climate is especially hard. And I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And there's Republicans, Democrats, and I think a couple Libertarians that are a part of that list. I'm not trying to tell you how to vote, but we are to be a people who obey the law and pray for our leaders. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Romans 13, one through seven, select verses. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. It goes on to say, therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, hello, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God. TV time out. I hear Romans 13 used a lot when it comes to the immigration debate. I'm not hearing a lot of us talk about it when it comes to paying our taxes appropriately. <laughs> so let me lean into this. Let's get real. Let's, let's, I'm, I'm coming to your neighborhood. Here we go. When it comes to obeying our leaders... Are we going to put ourselves in a position where we pick and choose based on what we like or don't like, or is there some higher principle in which we're to operate? Let me give you something else to consider. Proverbs 20, 23 says this, differing weights are detestable to the Lord and a dishonest scales are unfair. Basically what it's saying is this, if you cheat people, God detests that. Remember that whole toe step in prayer? We're getting there. One of the things I consistently hear is this. Hey, I've got this job done. I want it done cheap, so I'm gonna drive down to Home Depot and get me a handful of immigrants. 
to do the labor. Now, usually there's a slur used there instead of immigrants, but here's what happens. I know I can pay them an unfair, non-competitive wage because they are in a position in which I can exert authority and power and control over them. But we're supposed to obey the law. Hello. We're supposed to pay our fair share of taxes. See, if we're going to look at Romans 13, we need to look at the fullness of Romans 13 and apply it to all aspects of our life. Moreover, if we pay people under the table to avoid paying our taxes, says the Lord hates that. If we pay people an unfair wage, says the Lord hates that. We have to take the scripture as a whole, but let's keep going. Number one, we're to love. Number two, we're to obey the law. Number three, and chickity chickity check, here we go. We are to resist and seek to change unjust laws. You know that there have been, at least in my nation's history, this nation here, there have been times where there have been unjust laws, like segregation. And there were many who, in the name of Christ, fought against that, and that's right to do. We are to resist unjust laws and to seek to change unjust laws. Remember that whole 1 Peter uh, 2 and Romans 13 thing I just said about obeying uh, the governor? Remember I just said that? Okay, 1 Peter was written by a dude named uh, Peter. Romans was written by a dude named Paul, both of whom absolutely and blatantly disobeyed their local governors and went to prison for it. Both Peter and Paul, who wrote those texts, went to prison for disobeying their local governors. Now, they did so because they believed wholeheartedly that there is the law of the land of which we are to obey until the law of the land contradicts the higher law, namely God's law. And they were going into cities. They were going into places and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And the governor said, don't do that or I'm going to put you in prison. And they didn't say Romans 13 or 1 Peter 2. They said, God has commanded me this regardless of what your law says. There is a higher law. Y'all with me on that? So we are to obey the law unless it contradicts a higher law. Half of the, if not more, of the Old Testament authors had a criminal record. So how we treat criminals in this society should be shaped by that. The stigma that we assign to convicts and people who do illegal things, that needs to be shaped by that. There is a higher law. My predecessor, Pastor Rick Eford, in 2008, along with a bunch of other pastors in the Valley, like Daryl Del Hussein, wrote a public letter to our then governor, Janet Napolitano, and many other officials, basically saying we need to fix the broken immigration system because it is breaking families apart. This was at a time in my city where people in my city, where families in my city, officials were coming in and taking parents away from their children and taking them out of country. It was ripping families apart in my city. And I got huge respect for Rick and everyone else who signed that. They weren't angry, they weren't raging, but they're saying this is breaking a higher law, namely the law of family. Moreover, the scripture calls families to care for their children. Many of those who are here are just striving to do that. Finally, not only are we to love or to obey the law, resist and seek, change, to seek to change unjust laws, but finally we are to love our neighbor how? So I want you to think, if you're in that person's shoes, how would you want to be loved? Would you want to be mm, caustically categorized? 
Let me ask you a question. Do you like it when people treat you with respect as an individual, or do you prefer to be treated as a generalized category? Anybody? Anybody? Individual or category, right? Yeah. Those illegals, they're all the same. What's that? Now, is that loving my neighbor as myself? Uh, by the way, that whole like term for illegals, man, it drives me crazy. Like most of you are illegal. Um, ha- like, did you speed to get here today or to work last week? Did, I mean, are we just all like totally obeying the like traffic laws? You use your signal every time you're supposed to. How are we doing on those taxes? We doing good? Okay. What I mean to say is this: the gospel of Jesus Christ means that we are not defined by our sin and our failure. Every person is made with inherent dignity, worth, and value because of the image of God within them, not because of the things that they have done or not done. You and I are not defined by our sin. Watch your rhetoric. And watch your heart. If we view different as a threat, we may become isolated and bigoted. And we have to learn from one another. We have to learn. For those of us that uh, don't understand what it means to be an immigrant, we have to learn from our immigrants. Many of whom you saw on the screen, I've had the the, the honor of getting to know their stories, the stories of Moon and Grace Hong, the story of Nick uh, Nick and Mary Mwangi, the story of Zunashe, the story of Michalina and Giuseppe, my in-laws, the story of Arthur and Selijah, Zolt's story, Lenka's story, and on and on and on. If we would but listen and seek first to understand. And we ought to show hospitality. A friend of mine in seminary uh, came out of the Middle East. He went to school here. He's Muslim, but because of the hospitality of some of his hosts who were Christian, he came to know the Lord. Simply because of the hospitality of those who were at first strangers and are now brothers and sisters. And we are to, and finally in conclusion, we are to bear one another's burdens. My favorite text in the scriptures is Galatians 6. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love God and love your neighbor. How do we do that? We bear one another's burdens. Our immigrant neighbors and brothers and sisters bear a unique burden. I remember talking to Nick Mwangi who said that for many immigrants from his uh, country of origin, many of them are starting from zero. They don't know anybody Many are afraid. Many are not socially connected. There's fear. There's anxiety. There's frustration. And what can a brother or sister in Christ do? We can help bear that burden. Hmm? We can learn. We can understand. And we can bear it. And we do all of this recognizing that we too are foreigners to God apart from his grace. But he has brought us together and made us one family, one people, the citizens of one kingdom. Would you join me as we pray?